gift. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 to 25. Matthew chapter 1, 18 to 25, which will be the text for our sermon. Matthew chapter 1, I'm waiting for you to open your Bibles. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with a child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not wanting to make a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took him, and took to him his wife, and did not know her till she brought forth her firstborn son and called his name Jesus. Let us pray for the speaker. Father, today we pray for your servant, Pastor Koti. Father, we thank you because we understand from your word that you never gather your people in vain. We pray for those who are seated here, those who came with burdens expecting the word of the Lord to give them a solution. We pray for those who are at home watching with expectation, Jehovah, my Father and my God. We pray that may you anoint your servant specially, differently and uniquely with your anointing and with your Holy Spirit. That, Father, may he bring out the message clearly, O God, that you have put upon his heart. We cover him with your blood and we pray for coherence. We pray for utterance, O God. We pray for a sound understanding, Jehovah, my God. That he'll be faithful, O God, to your word and the message you have placed in his heart. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray and believe. Amen. Let us invite Pastor Koti with a clap. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, good morning. Wonderful to see you. Kindly, let's wave at me if you can see me. Good morning for those of us who are at home. Thank you so much, Masharia, for leading us so well. Uh, today. Why don't we give him a round of applause? I mean, uh, he's done so well. Uh, yes. So, are we blessed this morning? Are we blessed? Are we happy to be in the house of the Lord? Do we find excitement to hear from his word today? Last Sunday, Reverend Kasim left us off with the topic born amongst sinners. And he was taking us through the genealogy of Jesus and quite unexpectedly you would find strange characters were given the honor of being in Jesus' lineage. Today, we'll just dive right in for those of us who are writing or for those of us who are taking notes, eh? the topic is 
born to save. Jesus born to save. Emmanuel, God with us. Born to save. So, I like how Matthew is not afraid of controversy. Do you, do you see? <laughs> do you see the controversial story that is before us this morning? Um, apologies. Uh, Kevin, could you, could you assist me? Thank you. Yes. Do we see the controversial story that is before us this morning? Joseph and Mary are betrothed to be married. Betrothal simply means engagement. They, they have a promise between themselves that uh, we will we'll get married at some point. But there is a problem. There is a problem. And for those of us here who are husbands and wives, Mary comes home, or rather, or rather probably they are not living together, so Joseph is viewing Mary, I mean, meeting her often, often, time and again. And then he notices changes in her body size. And surprisingly, it becomes evident that she's pregnant. Now, there is no consummation of their marriage. So, Joseph, from a human perspective, what would he do? What, what is he left to do? but to feel despair and feel betrayal. Notice the words that the Bible uses to describe Joseph. From verse, uh, verse 19. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man. This righteous man, the righteous man called Joseph, sees this situation. And I can just imagine the conversation between him and Mary at some point, And he's like, Surely, Mary, surely, Mary, what is this that you have done to me? We had promised to be together. Why, why have you gone and betrayed me in such a painful way? And Mary is pleading and, and perhaps tears are flowing from her, from her eyes. And she's like, believe me, believe me, I have not betrayed you. Trust me, I have not betrayed you. A question here, gentlemen, for those of us who are here. How many of us would have believed Mary? When she says, it is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who is responsible for this damage that you are seeing here. How many of us would have believed? And being the man that he is, Joseph, unfortunately, is unable to completely forgive Mary and overlook this gross mistake. So he decides in his heart, Manze, it is better we part ways. It is better you go your way and I go my way. So the Bible actually says, he, because he was a righteous man, verse 19, and did not want to expose her in public disgrace, or rather to public disgrace, he had in mind, or he set his mind, to divorce her quietly. You would think the birth of the king of kings would be so peaceful, surrounded with angels, but it's surrounded with such controversy. Jesus, who's born to save us. Now, for some of us it would be, to be, to be strange, I think, I think we are like, okay, the Bible calls Joseph a righteous man. But we can clearly see he's unable to come to that point of forgiving Mary 
for the sins that he thinks she has committed. He is unable. He is unable to be like, my dear Mary, I will take you as you are. He's unable. And he resolves in his heart to divorce her. We note unforgiveness in his heart. Yet the Bible calls him righteous. Like, that's, that's strange. Strange to note. But for us to better understand the context, the context of Joseph, and not judge him so harshly, perhaps, perhaps let's see what Jesus said some years later after this, said concerning humanity. For those of us who are able to turn there quickly, Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. Uh, from verse 14. Mark chapter 7 from verse 14. Just a, a quick context for us to get what is happening in this chapter. So Jesus and his disciples are walking. Remember, we are still looking at the, at the, at the life of Joseph. And perhaps, let me give you a roadmap as, 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 as we continue. We have begun looking at the plight of the pregnant virgin. That's a, an oxymoron. How can a virgin be pregnant? Yeah. So, we have begun looking at the plight of the pregnant virgin. But we are going to move on to the diagnosis of our Holy Savior, the roadmap for us. And finally, we will finish with salvation at last. So we have looked at the plight of Mary and Joseph, and we've seen things have been left at a tense position. But for us to better understand Joseph's presuppositions and his, his inability to forgive Mary, why don't we look at the diagnosis of the Savior? And that is where we go to Mark chapter 7. So the context of this particular chapter, Jesus is with his disciples and they decide to eat. So as they are eating, unfortunately, there were no hand sanitizers at, this, at the time. So the Pharisees take offense and ask Jesus, why, why, why is it that your disciples have the audacity to eat, to eat without washing their hands? They have not washed their hands. They have not washed, washed the instruments they are eating with. They have not washed their feet. Like they have not washed nothing. So they are unclean. Why are they doing that? So Jesus looks at the Pharisees and says, you guys are, are, are real roadblocks. Eh? You, are, you are real road, roadblocks to people. You love honoring traditions of men. You love putting up rules and laws that inhibit people from experiencing the freedom that is in God. You love doing that. And Jesus in response, now looking at the particular verses that I've given you verse, from verse 14. He says, so he says, and again, and Jesus called the crowd to himself. You know, the Pharisees had made a scene of, why have your disciples eaten without washing? They are, they are defiling the laws, you know. So Jesus in response from verse 14 says, and again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a man and make him unclean by going into him. I read that again. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. Several questions I have there. But let's continue. We see if Jesus will, will solve our conundrum. Nothing, 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 Lord, nothing, nothing, Nothing that enters a man, nothing that enters a man can make him unclean. 
Okay, I have so many questions about that. I'm, I'm thinking about drugs. I'm thinking about pornography. I'm thinking about situations of temptations that drive us to states of uncleanliness. But Jesus is saying nothing outside of a man can make him un- unclean. We continue verse 17 of the same of Mark chapter 7. He says, after he had left the crowd and entered the, and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. And Jesus responds to them, are you so dull? He asked, don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach, and then out of his body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. Verse 20 and 21, sorry, verse 20 to 23 are the punchlines for me. He says, he went on, what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts, evil come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. As I'm looking at the diagnosis of Jesus for humanity, there are two implications that I'm getting from from this statement, from his diagnosis of human beings. The first diagnosis is obvious. It's obvious to us. He's saying there's nothing outside. There's nothing outside, not just in the context, because the context he was discussing was food, but he uses the word nothing, nothing. He doesn't say no food. He says nothing. It it is an all-encompassing word, nothing outside of a man makes him unclean. Yeah? Nothing, we can't say the temptation came my way and therefore caused me to sin. The outside external temptation. The police officer stopped me. And because he stopped me, I had no option other than to bribe. Yeah? She was wearing a short skirt continuously in my presence. So I had no option but to extend and touch. Yeah, The money was just there so easily, so accessible. The the accountant was not paying attention to the receipts. So I could just easily steal. No. Jesus says it is not from the outside in. No. He says it's from the inside out. What does this mean? It means that within the hearts of men, within the hearts of men, you do not need to go to the school of how to do evil. No. Naturally, we are born knowing how to do evil. It is ingrained within our hearts. Malice, slander, adultery, name it. Jesus has the list. It is already present in our hearts. So how do we reconcile the two? How do we reconcile the sin that keeps on coming up. For instance, I'll use the, the scene of pornography. Because we're like, ah, you watch the garbage, then you act on it. No. According to Jesus, it is the last that is within our hearts already, even before you switch on the screen, that drives us, the last that is within us, that drives us to switch on the screen and participate. Yeah? Um, one of my lecturers used to refer to it as, you're watching other people fornicate on your behalf. Yeah? It is the last that is already, already within us. 
Yeah? It is not the situation to steal easily that has made you fall into the temptation. No, it is your desire to steal that is already within you that causes you to steal. So the, the dynamics have shifted. The first implication is there is no external factor that causes us to sin. No. Sin already resides within us. Sin, the desire to sin, the desire to do that which is evil, that which is wrong, already is in our hearts. And so it keeps on manifesting through our choices. Keeps on manifesting through the evil choices that we keep on making. Yeah? Now the second implication is this. Since God is a holy God, there is nothing that we can do by ourselves to please him. Since God is a holy God, there is nothing we can do in and of ourselves to please him. It's a sad reality for a lot of us, but it's also a liberating truth for a majority of us as well, the truth that sets us free. There's nothing that we can do in and of ourselves to please God. Maybe let me give you an analogy. Supposing you have a hidden camera. You come to my restaurant, but you have a hidden camera of my kitchen. Yeah? So I have, I have, I have prepped seats. The decoration is on point. You know, the menu looks exquisite. It looks ironed. It looks wonderful. But I don't know that you have a hidden camera that shows you what I do in the kitchen. Now, I go, I, I mean, I have you seated and I'm like, I'll be with you in shortly. What do you want? What do you want? What do you have to eat? You give an order. Then I go to the kitchen where you can't see physically, but because you have the hidden camera, you can see what I'm doing behind the scenes. So as I'm making this your dish, eh, I put my finger in my ear and then I put it on your onion. Yeah? Or I cough onto your food. Yeah? Or perhaps a piece of meat falls down on the floor, I step on it accidentally and then pick it up and then put it on your plate. Now let me ask you, having watched that on the camera, on the hidden camera, and then I bring the delicious dish before you, how many of you would eat and enjoy that with such confidence? Of course you wouldn't, right? You would not enjoy. Why? Because you have seen what is in the hidden places. The same analogy applies to us. Why? Because we love to present God with so much flattery, with so much good deeds. Good deeds. We love that. Good dishes of the best of ourselves. The best behavior. The best kind of prayer. Yeah? The best kind of fasting. In fact, God, I give so much tithe. Yet in the hidden crevices of our hearts, are the sins that Jesus has called forth and said, we are helplessly sinful. We cannot please God, and I'd, I'd like to really emphasize that fact. We cannot please God. You cannot endear God and make him love you more or have favor on you by what you do, by your deeds. No. God, I'll be the best person I can be, so kindly please overlook, oversee. No. Isaiah puts it this way for us to better understand. He says, our righteous deeds are like what? Are like? Our righteous deeds are like what? Filthy rags. Do you see the connection there? 
the best of what you have to offer God is filthy rags. Not because what you have done, the action itself, is bad, but because our hearts inherently are bad. Our hearts inherently are wicked. Our hearts inherently are evil. Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter 6, sorry, Romans chapter 7. The struggle of the righteous. He says, within me, within me is the desire to do good. Like, I can see and I know what good looks like. Yeah? But I have a problem. Why? Because there's something else in me that is driving me to the slavery of sin. I want to do good. The good that I want to do, I don't do that. The evil that I do not want to do, that is the one I keep on doing. There is a problem. There is a big problem, people. There is a big problem in us. There is a big problem for us. And especially how much so more now, because God says, without holiness, none of us will see him. So that's a huge problem for us. Because it is not just about behavioral therapy. For those of us who, Dr. Joe, psychology. It's not just about behavioral therapy. No. There is a problem deep in our hearts in the genes, in the core of who we are as people, in what defines us as human beings, that causes us to be at conflict with God, that causes us to desire sin, to enjoy sin, to enjoy wickedness and evil. There is need of a savior. Just like Joseph, in and of himself, could not forgive Mary, of whom perhaps they were betrothed for quite some time. He was much more willing. It was easier for him to walk away from that promise because of what he thinks is a mistake than to forgive her. He's unable. Like, he's unable. Like, he ponders and he's like, I can't. I can't. How? I can't forgive her. And no one, no one else yet knows about the situation. But he can't forgive her. It's a choice he makes. We too are unable to live for God in and of ourselves. We cannot live for God in and of ourselves. Why? Because the center of who we are is corrupt. Jesus says so in Mark. He says, no, it is not external things that cause you to sin. No, it is the fact that you desire sin already. Sin already resides in your heart. Yes, and so the good deeds that we come to God with, the good giftings, the wonderful cuisines of our actions are all filthy rags before God. And, and, and Paul... <laughs> Paul exclaims in verse 24 of chapter 6 of Romans and says, Oh, what a wretched man I am. I am so wretched. Who will save me from this body of sin and death? Who will save me? Because he understands, I want to do good, I can't do good. Even the good that I do will not count because it's of myself, it is of my strength. I can't. Who will save me? This body is wretched and it is dying. It is going to die. Who will save me? So, he points us, he points us to Jesus. Picking up from the tension we left off with Mary and Joseph. Eh? Uh, if I take you back, sorry, I'm taking you back and forth. Eh? But let me take you back now to, Ma to Matthew. We are on the last point. So, Matthew chapter 1, in case, in case to, li, to Lifunga, Biblia, Matthew chapter 1, from verse 18. To 24. 
So we dealt with the conundrum, the plea of the pregnant virgin. That's an oxymoron. And then we went to the diagnosis of the Savior so that we understand Joseph. We understand why, how come? How come he's not forgiving Mary? But even the bigger question is, how come the Bible calls him righteous and he's clearly not forgiving Mary? Verse 20 to 20, verse 20 to 24 offers the solution. And let me read, let me just read quickly so that we get proper context. But after he had considered this, after he had considered to leave Mary, to divorce her, not to forgive her, after he had reconciled in himself, you remember the struggle of Romans, oh, do I do good, do I not do good? So he's decided not to forgive her and to divorce her. After his, he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Verse 24. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. Do you, do you, see, do you see the abrupt contrast? On one hand, Joseph is like, I'm leaving you. I can't leave the same house with you. But just a few verses, a few verses in between that, his whole character, his whole heart, his whole concept has changed. He's like, can we go home? Please, sweets, eh? Twende, twende, twende. I will. But what has happened? What has happened in between? What is the change? And that's my third point. At last, salvation has come. As we get to understand God's intervention, because the thing that makes the change, the, the thing that is the change, the spice of the change, is God's intervention for us. Jesus, who has been born to save us, to save us from sin, to save us from death, to save us from ourselves. And his birth began by saving his parents' marriage. It began by saving his parents' marriage. But to better understand this, there's, 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 there's a famous verse we love. John, John 3.16. I know a majority of us might know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. A wonderful, glorious verse that has really, really permeated the whole world. But before this verse, verse 16 of chapter 3 of John, there are 15 other verses before. This is the context of John chapter 3. Yeah? Nicodemus, the teacher, comes in the middle of the night to have a conversation with Jesus. Yeah? John chapter 3. Nicodemus and Jesus. A negotiation, a wonderful negotiation. But as we look at the details of their conversation, before we look at the details of their conversation, I have a question for you. Um, please let us engage a bit. Imagine I come to you 
And let's say, for, for, for this sake, you are a doctor. Let's say you are a doctor. You may not be one yet, but let's say you are a doctor, a physician. So I come to you, and I tell you, I have a stone in my heart, and I want to remove it. I have a stone in my heart, and I want to remove it. What, what would you tell me? What would your response be? I have like a life-threatening stone, like it's legit. Yeah? And it's killing me. And I want to remove it. How can I remove it? What would you, what would you say? What would you tell me? What would you tell me? Please. I'd, I'd like us to engage, please. What would you tell me? I have a stone in my heart. Like, it's, a, it's not metaphorical, like it's a real stone in my heart. Yeah. I'd like to remove it. What, what would your response be? What would you tell me? Any, any takers? Any takers? I won't bring the mic to you. I'll just respond your, your answer. Any takers? What would you tell me? Oh my, all of you would be silent and watch me die. Whoa, 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 whoa. Yes, yes, Mike. Thank you. At least you love your pastor. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I, I need an operation, right? I need an operation. Now, my question is, what does that operation have to do with my ability? Can I operate? Maybe let me ask it a different way. Can I operate myself? So what then would you say? If I tell you, I have a stone in my heart and I want to remove it, what would you say? See the doctor, right? I can't remove it. You, you'd be like, no, sorry, your question is flawed. You can't remove the stone. But you need a process to remove the stone, Right? Thank you. Let's keep this in mind as we look at the conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus. So Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he begins with uh, pleasantries. Good teacher, we know that you are from God, you know, because no one can do the things that you do if they have not come from above. And Jesus sees, sees behind, behind the pleasantries. He discerns the burning question in him because he says, Imagine, Nicodemus amends and a pleasantries in Zurivio, and then Jesus' response is, let me tell you, <laughs> there is no one who will enter the kingdom of God without being born again. So Jesus was discerning a question behind Nicodemus' thoughts. Perhaps Nicodemus came, and behind the pleasantries, he was asking, he was wondering, Lord, what can I do to enter the kingdom of God, right? Remember, we said our righteous acts are like our righteous acts are like they are like filthy rags, right? So Nicodemus is asking, what can I do to enter the kingdom of God? Let me put it in our context. How much tithe can I give, O God, so that you'd be pleased with me and allow me to enter the kingdom of God? How many services, God, should I attend so that we would, I'd be in good books with you? How much singing, oh Lord, should I sing? How much money should I give to the poor? Because the question Nicodemus is asking is flawed, just like my question that I've asked you now. I've asked you what can I do to remove the stone that is in my heart, right? 
And you're like, no, it's not you to remove the stone. You're supposed to go for an operation. Likewise, when Nicodemus comes to Jesus with the presupposition in his mind, Jesus is like, eh, eh, this is the process that is supposed to happen before you. So he begins and says, you must be born again. Then he says again, you must be born of water and spirit. These are the things that must happen to you so that you enter the kingdom of God. Do you see any niceties there? Do you see you have to become a better person? Do you see you have to do good to enter the kingdom of God? Do you see that? Do you see that in, in John chapter 3? Do you see that? Can you, can you discern that anywhere? Jesus is saying, and by the way, you know, the truths of God are hidden in obvious ways. When he says you must be born again, he says the best of yourself, the best self, is not enough. You need new life. Hence the term born again. You need new life. Your heart is already corrupt with sin. Now that has affected the whole, the whole deal. So there's nothing that I can do as Pastor Koti to make God love me enough to allow me into his kingdom. There's nothing. There's nothing. And we often as Christians today, or even non-believers as well, fall into the trap of doing good to please God. There's no such reality. It is an insult. Just like you'd be insulted in my kitchen, right? Yeah, and then I'm bringing for you food and claiming you should eat it. The same way God is insulted with our attempts to please him, to entreat him, to make him, you know, like to twist our deeds. No. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing I can do. Just like Jesus told Nicodemus, let me tell you the truth. Unless you're born again, and that means unless you have new life, unless God drastically changes you, you will not see the kingdom of God. You will not see it. You will not enter it. You will not see it. And then he repeats the same thing and says, you will not be born of water and the spirit. As we draw to a close, Jesus is referring to the great promises of God in Ezekiel 36. That actually, that whole chapter up to verse 16 of John chapter 3, up to verse 16, is referring to the great promises of God in Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 36. From verse 25 to 27. So God is telling his people Israel, and this is the new life that he promises his people. And I want you to note, what role do you have? Like a patient, other than lying on the table and waiting to be operated on, what other role do you have? This is what God says he will do in Ezekiel. That is it. And this is the new life that God is talking about. God says, I will sprinkle you with clean water. And you will be clean. Yeah. I won't sprinkle you with clean water and then you're, you're left filthy. No. I will sprinkle you with clean water and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your idols, from all the desires that have trapped you, from all the sin that has enslaved you. I will cleanse you from all those idols. I will cleanse you. I will remove the heart of stone. <laughs> I will remove the heart of stone. The cold heart that is unmoved by the things of God. The cold heart 
even when we are sinning, we still persist in sin, ignoring the voice and the pleas of the Holy Spirit. He will remove that heart that is not sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. I will remove the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you. That is God. We are still in the promises of what he says in Ezekiel 36. I will put my spirit in you and I will cause you to walk in my ways and obey my commands. Now tell me, isn't that a new life? Isn't that a new life? Isn't that a new life? A completely new life that is orchestrated by God who operates our hearts. Friends, being born again and being saved is not about trying to be a better person. No. It is trusting the promises of God that are in Jesus Christ. These promises that I have read for you. Trusting those promises and being like, yes, Jesus, I believe that you are accomplishing these things in me. And even without you noticing, the change will be so drastic in you, in your family. These are the promises of God. These are the promises of God. Come back to Joseph and Mary. Tension has been resolved. It has been resolved by the intervention of God. God has intervened through his angel. And Joseph's heart is changed completely. His unforgiveness, you can't even sense at all. God has also intervened for us through Jesus Christ. He intervened 2020 Yes, years ago. 2020 years ago. He intervened for us. And through Christ we have new life. We have new life. We have new life. We have new life. Small wonder that the name of Jesus, Jesus, as Joseph is told or instructed to name Jesus, is a variant of Joshua. Joshua in Hebrew. So Jesus is Greek. Joshua is Jesus in Hebrew. Which means Yahweh saves. He will save his people from their sins. Friends, if you keep on depending on your good deeds to intercede for you before God, there is no way you are going. Because it gives you a false sense of righteousness, a false sense of transformation, a false assurance of self-righteousness. But when you are like, oh God, I am actually an evil person. I am actually very bad. I am actually very bad. When it dawns on you that you are actually very bad, then you have the need for the Savior. The need for Jesus who saves you from the wickedness of the heart, from the bitterness that overwhelms, from the regrets from the shames, from the addictions that hold us. As we cling onto the promises of God and we look at his promises in Jesus Christ and we believe that we have received them. And that is how Joseph, who is unforgiving, is called righteous. Not because he's a good person in terms of actions. No. No. It's because God in his sovereignty declares him righteous. Because of his faith. He believes. He believes in the angel of God who sent. It's like, yeah, 
as we as we as we conclude allow me to leave you with the lyrics of one song sung by Lenny LeBlanc closer i think i think some of us know it closer closer so here it goes it says I don't have to walk a million miles to find you. You is Jesus. You is God. I don't have to walk a million miles to find you. I don't have to sail around the world to see. Because every time I lift up my heart to praise you, there you are right next to me. You're closer, closer than a brother. No longer so far away. Jesus, now I can touch you. I feel you in my heart every time I start to give you praise I know you're getting closer Don't I don't have to do a bunch of things to please you I don't have to play no religious games I don't have to say a special prayer to move you All I have to do is just mention your name You're closer closer than a brother No longer so far away Jesus now i can touch you i feel you in my heart every time i start to give you praise i know you're getting closer why don't we bow our heads as we go into god's presence and as we reflect on what god's word means and speaks to us this morning perhaps have you been trying and trying and trying and trying and trying trying to beat the sinful habits trying to be good trying to be a better person and it hasn't worked out i'd like to draw your attention to jesus who saves this morning jesus who saves us from sin I'd like to draw you to focus on the promises of God that are in Christ Jesus and ask him Lord forgive me for my feeble and wicked attempts to please you I now realize I cannot please you on my own I cannot please you I cannot please you oh God But yet there is hope for me There is hope for me because lord you have promised you have promised new life this heart of mine that is so desperately wicked that yearns for sin that yearns to rebel against you that yearns against your word oh lord thank you thank you because today i realize you are the one the great physician who's going to operate me you're going to change life in me you're going to change me completely you're going to change me and transform me you're going to change my thoughts you're going to change my desires and in so doing you will increase faith in you that i may know you that i may know your love perhaps lord i've been here for so many years sitting in pews and i've never experienced the reality of your salvation lord help me help me help me today to know this jesus who saves to stop trying to play god 
for myself. To stop trying, trying to please you, but to realize, oh, oh, you are so pleased with me because Jesus, Jesus already, already paid it all. Just open your mouth and speak Jesus. Jesus, call on him. That you'd like to experience this miracle of Jesus, this miracle, this life-changing grace, this newness of life that the Bible talks about. Whisper the following prayer in your heart. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you today for the voice of God within me that is convicting me, that is convicting me and calling me to a reality of believing in you. I take the step of faith to trust in you. I invite you, Lord, in my life that you'd reign supreme and you'd be Lord of all. That you transform my heart. That you transform my mind. You would change me completely according to your promises. Help me, Lord, live for you. Thank you for writing my name in the Lamb's book of life. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. And so, Lord, we thank you for your word that has come to us. Various hearts tilled, O Lord, before you. Perhaps some struggling with the assurance of salvation. And I pray, God, won't you meet with them? Won't you meet with them? Won't you speak to them ever so in accents clear and still? Won't you minister your grace to them in the name of Jesus, O Lord? Won't you fight for them and may the victory of God, may the victory of God prevail for each and every one of them. In the name of Jesus, O Lord, we declare the victory of God. We declare the love of God. We declare the sovereignty of God in our lives. We thank you so much, Lord, for reminding us of Jesus, who is the one who actually saves us. Would you help us, Lord, not to fall back into the habits of trying to please you with our deeds, but through faith, may it be enough, Lord, that, that your promises, your promises, Lord, speak for us, your promises defend us. And so we live righteous lives, not to try and please you, but as a response, as an act of faith, that God, you have already changed us. We thank you and bless your name. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Thank you. Allow me to invite you to rise as we come to a close of a service today. And if you're able to just have a receptive post as, as I declare the blessings for the week upon you. And so may God's divine power give you everything you need for life and godliness as he inspires you to seek knowledge of Jesus deeper knowledge of who Christ is and how how he has saved you and saved me because he has called us into his own glory and goodness may you receive the great the very great and precious promises that he has mentioned to us, some of which we have learned today, so that through these promises, you will be able to participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. And now may the grace of our Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and forevermore. Amen, amen, amen.
May the Lord bless you.